0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armaza. Today, we have a great guest. We are joined by Irene Arias Hoffman, CEO of IDB Lab, the innovation lab and venture capital arm of the Inter-American Development Bank leading source of development finance for Latin America and the Caribbean. Their purpose, to drive innovation for inclusion by supporting early-stage entrepreneurial solutions capable of transforming the lives of vulnerable populations. Prior to IDB Lab, Irene worked for 20 years at the IFC, the private sector arm of the World Bank, where she managed the financial institutions group in the Latin American region with a $16 billion portfolio. Her focus has been on innovation and technology, venture capital, and organizational development. And now join me in an awesome interview with Irene Arias Hoffman. Well, Irene, thank you for joining us on the Wharton FinTech Podcast. We are extremely excited that you're here with us. We could start by hearing a little bit about yourself and your personal background.
1: Bueno, thank you so much, Miguel, and the Wharton podcast. It's great to be here. Um, Irene Arias, I lead IDB Lab since 2018. Um, I was before for the prior 20 years at the World Bank Group, mainly leading the financial institutions group and uh, also as a regional director for Latin America and the Caribbean at the IFC in the private arm. So financial inclusion and fintech solutions to address the financial gaps have been sort of part of my career for many many years so I was very excited to get your invitation I'm based in Washington but I have been over my career based in different parts of the world including eight years in Colombia but um, right now we know that really it doesn't matter the location is become quite uh, irrelevant it's making us feel closer and indeed the, uh, through the team that I lead now Half of us are here in D.C., and the other half are in the 26 countries of Latin America and the Caribbean. And these last few weeks or last months, we have, as everyone, remote, uh, worked remotely, and we do feel closer than ever, I have to say. So, greetings to everyone from Washington, D.C., wherever you are.
0: Well, thank you, Irene, for joining us from D.C. Sounds like you sit and you have been sitting at the intersection of multiple industries, for a long time, particularly in Latin America, sounds like also financial inclusion and fintech, namely, has been a big theme for your career. Can you tell us a little bit of how your previous roles led you to the IDB Lab, and also tell us about the IDB Lab and about its mission?
1: Great. Yes, most of the solutions so the way that I, the roles that I had before coming to the Inter-American Development Bank to lead IDB Lab were structuring and mobilizing capital for impact investing through financial institutions. And yes, we did address the needs in terms of all the unbanked population of emerging markets through credit lines or equity investments in banks, in microfinance institutions, alternative institutions, and so on. But what I always realized and now it's very obvious, but this was coming from many, many years before that, is that digital solutions to address differently the financial gaps or the unbanked population needs were more and more relevant. And for that, and to really promote those types of solutions, you can't apply the same lens that you apply to regular deals through financial institutions that have been around for many, many years, you really need to take a different type of risk. You need to believe in the teams that are coming up with those new solutions. We know that most of the fintech companies in Latin America and the Caribbean have been around for less than five years. So you can't rely quite on the same basis of analysis that you do when you work through the mainstream financial institutions. So it prepared me well to understand the entire financial sector and how it operates. But it always left me with this curiosity for how do you really tackle the gaps that are still there? Because we still could not move the needle, really, in terms of the needs of the massive gaps of access in finance in Latin America and the Caribbean and in the world. And it left me with that curiosity for new models, new responses, and what startups are doing Coming up with those, and and so when the, the opportunity came to the Inter-American Development Bank Group, and focus 100% of my time in discovering those new solutions, and really taking a like a risk on new teams that are innovating and are leveraging infinite solutions in terms of computer capacity, in terms of algorithm-based models, in terms of um. What we know today is possible with the data-driven models that can help people that don't have many assets but have a track record that if you can really monitor and monetize, can give them access to finance the way that banks with their traditional credit scoring models can, was really fascinating for me. And so now I have that opportunity to lead the innovation lab of the American Development Bank Group, and our mandate is entirely that is taking more risk, putting smart capital in terms of early stage investing, and also if it's very, very experimental or at like the POC stage, also using grants with warrants or optionality, but looking at new solutions that can give us those new models of the future. And, you know, we've seen the success stories already in the region. We've seen what New Bank has been able to do in a record time to provide a completely different way of banking.
0: Fascinating. Happy to say that many of those innovators have been on the podcast. Great. So that's super interesting. Before we go further into the conversation, can you tell us about the size of your team? How big is it? And how did you build your team? How did you recruit your internal talent?
1: Miguel, yes. Our our team has 90 people. We are half in Washington, D.C. and the other half is in 26 countries in Latin America and the Caribbean. This is very important because... I used to have a more centralized team, IDB Labs team is very distributed across the region and that helps us be very, very connected to local entrepreneurs, to the local innovation ecosystem networks and we actually sometimes work from there. So when we used to go to offices, (laughs) we actually established even physical presence in some of the innovation hubs besides our presence in the IDB offices in those countries. The team is quite diverse in terms of the profile. So it's not all MBAs or finance backgrounds. Um, We have agronomists, we have people with other disciplines, which is, of course, an essential ingredient of a team that has to apply an adaptive mindset to be open to come up with new solutions from different diverse perspectives. But I would say that the most important thing has been, one, to realize that If we want to be the best innovation lab that we can possibly be, we need to work with others and we need to be on top of the most advanced technologies and innovations by nurturing those links with institutions and with individuals all over the world that we are not going to be able to keep up with what's at the forefront, just with our internal skills and and staff. So um, that's what we do. It's kind of opened up a lot of doors and a lot of avenues to work in partnership with other institutions. Uh, So, for example, with uh, Israel, we work closely with the Startup Nation Central, and that keeps us in the loop in terms of what's coming out And what they are tracking through the Global Finder in innovation in the agri space, where there are tons of opportunities, by the way, for financial solutions for that space. We support a lot of agritech companies, but we wouldn't be able to really select them well or be on top of what's the latest if it wasn't because we have a partnership with the Yield Lab in Argentina. We do a mapping every year of all the innovations in agritech in Latin America and the Caribbean with the help of experts like Roberto Viton in Argentina as well. And also by learning from our own entrepreneurial ecosystem and from the entrepreneurs that we back up, like, for example, Emiliano. The founder of Satellogy. So it's a really a two-way street. So that's been number one in terms of being at the forefront of knowledge and cutting edge technologies. Secondly, it's also in terms of the mindset and the culture within the organization. And for that we have developed what we call a distributed leadership model. A distributed leadership model based on teal principles which is basically self-organized teams because we are so decentralized it is extremely important that we don't have little islands that don't connect with each other so we've created a thematic circles across the team so if you really if your main interest is skills edutech, and 21st century skills And basically, the new digital workforce, there is a thematic circle for that. And you can be in different disciplines or different functions within IDB Lab, different geographies, and you come together to solve that particular challenge. So, it's been a great way of decentralizing and making the organization much more horizontal, of allowing for individual initiatives to flourish, and for the communication and the sense of really being together, uh, working for each other. We don't have a hierarchy. We really are there for each other. So um, those are two of the main ingredients, I would say, that have helped us become and continue to try to be a very dynamic team.
0: So you are staying very close to the latest innovations, and at the same time, your mandate or one of your mandates is to create a more inclusive region, right? Can you expand a little bit on, on the concept of innovation driving a more inclusive region, right? A more inclusive Latin American continent?
1: Okay, that's a great question. The future is green and digital. Let's start with that. And we believe that before this crisis, I think, has generated that awareness everywhere else. And there's going to be a lot of investment going into creating the critical building blocks for digital solutions to scale meaning more investments by governments and private sector in connectivity, more investments in digital skills and capacity. And that means that we can now take even more advantage, one, of the entrepreneurial talent in the region, and two, of everything that the abundance of data, the infinite computing capacity, the power of the crowd can be put at the service of new solutions that before were maybe accessible by only a few people in big innovation hubs or in certain economic classes and now can be tailored and be accessible for all. But there has to be a very deliberate agenda for that to happen. If not, we're going to create an even less inclusive or even bigger gap. So it's a really fundamental mission of ours to promote digitally inclusive society, because that way, when we spot an entrepreneur that has a brilliant solution in telemedicine or in fintech, we can ensure that that solution is really adapted to the local reality, and it's really taking into account what the population that truly needs it needs, how they can adopt it. It's designed with the user. And I'll give you an example. We often hear about some of the more um well-known sort of fintech platforms but there are companies like pago 46 that have understood that it's not just about the digital you also need a little bit of that last mile analog contact because it's not yet a cashless society even though we'll get there and so it combines both and that's what i mean it's looking for those solutions that leverage the best of the technologies, but also understand what it's needed so that they don't just reach a portion of the population that is in big innovation hubs with the smartphones. It actually reach everybody, and especially those that are currently cut off from those services. And Miguel, if I can, I'll finish with one more way in which we are deliberately doing that. And that's an example around blockchain. Everybody talks about blockchain, I was just at a webinar and somebody from LinkedIn posted what would be the top 10 most needed skills in the next few years. And blockchain is definitely one of them. It was actually the number one. But how do you really make it accessible? How do you make it easy to use? How do you massify the adoption? So after having 20 use cases, leveraging blockchain to record low-income mortgages in Peru, to facilitate the way customs work in the Southern Cone, or to provide digital ID and digital wallet to unbanked population in Villa 31 in Buenos Aires. After learning about all of that, we don't want it to just be those specific cases. We felt, okay, the region actually needs a common public good. It needs the actual infrastructure to be ready, to be free, to be easy to use. So we built blockchain which is a publicly permissioned blockchain infrastructure. It's free, it's available, and it offers the possibility to provide a digital ID in the most secure way that we know today how to do. And imagine how important that is now that we're going to see an exponential growth in the applications for digital medicine or digital health, digital education that needs credentials that can be validated, or even contact tracing or even a vaccine and a digital vaccine card when COVID vaccines are available. So having that infrastructure ready is also something that we have done as part of our role to create what we call market-creating innovations not just incremental change, but actually market-creating innovations.
0: Fascinating, Irene. And I think it's a great segue to my next question, which is, you know, we talked to several funds for the podcast, but unlike you, they don't have a close relationship with the public sector, right? Whereas you actually work together with the public sector, that's the nature of the IDB. And also, I'm sure you piggyback on... on dozens of years of experience of the institution. So tell us a little bit about your collaboration with the public sector and also how can Latin American governments and for that matter, emerging market governments foster more innovation?
1: Yeah, again, great question. And yes, I do think that we are sitting in meeting point between the entrepreneurial ecosystem and the public sector and the corporate sector. So, IDB Lab is one of the three entities of the IDB group. We work alongside the IDB public side, whose main clients are the government, and IDB Invest that caters to the private sector. And we often look to ensure that if we are experimenting on how to improve the productivity of the agri-sector and we have invested in a company called Kilimo, for example, that is optimizing the use of water uh, with a smart irrigation system, and we're helping them get that to small farmers. It's not just an investment in isolation, it's part of a transformation of a sector that can be taken to other parts of the region, and that also requires and can help inform public policy in terms of how for example extension services to farmers are provided through r&d institute what r&d institutions are doing to complement that another example is which i think is going to be extremely relevant for the near future is worker tech we talked earlier that a lot of the fintech solutions don't actually come necessarily from companies that from the start think oh i'm going to provide financial services they often are job places or like digital job platforms like um, Zolvers. They employ domestic employees and it's a digital job platform to facilitate that or the more usual names, Rappi and others, right? They are going to employ an increasing number of people in the world and certainly in Latin America and the Caribbean. Those workers are faced with a situation that you know keeps them probably out of the more standard sort of access to social services they certainly don't have any pension schemes, they don't have unemployment insurance benefit or things like that. And we have seen how vulnerable that leaves them, especially in a situation like what we're living in today, where if they go to work, they get, of course, much more exposed. If they don't, they are left in a very vulnerable situation. So we're working together with those digital job platforms, some of which are our clients, some of which we have invested in, and they want to be part of the solution. So we have been able to write a framework for what is the data telling us of what are really the characteristics of these independent workers, like the digital workforce that is only going to increase... And what's the best solution so that we don't kill the innovation, we don't kill those new ventures and those new opportunities for jobs, but we also don't create huge pockets of vulnerability. And it's fascinating because in a very short time, we have been able to translate that in public policy in some countries. So this is an example of where we can bring together the best of both worlds.
0: Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Latin America and specifically the fintech entrepreneurial ecosystem, which is a very large percentage of the region. Uh, What are some of the most exciting trends that you are seeing within the fintech ecosystem in the region?
1: Yep. Well, we see that, of course, yes, there are more than 25% of the startups in Latin America and the Caribbean. It's still a sector which is more advanced than other verticals in the region. But compared to the rest of the world, it still has huge growth potential. Within fintech, we see that payments are totally being disrupted. We also see that credit platforms are also disrupting traditional models. We talked earlier about some of the ways in which new models are allowing for the use of data that was not being monetized before or used for making credit decisions. And now it can be done in a very efficient way so credit is the other one but we also see a lot of opportunity for the provision of financial services to SMEs and just facilitating and optimizing these value chains this is going to become quite important especially if we look at in the future at how countries are deciding localizing or bringing closer those value chains and finally i think there is a huge opportunity in terms of insurance and other aspects of financial services that have not been explored as much. Um, We have seen also that sometimes the efforts are very fragmented and that there has to be, in some of these verticals, there will be consolidation. And we've also seen that there have been players like, for example, FinConnecta, which IDB Lab supported very early on, And they started like the Apple store for fintech in Latin America and the Caribbean and facilitating the integration between fintechs and banks. But one by one, it was the adoption was quite costly because we know that there are a lot of especially second tier banks that still have not begun or have a clear strategy in terms of digital transformation and what they really need to do they have adopted more of a platform approach. And so their clients now are clients like PROSA in Mexico. So through them, they can access multiple banks. So we see both a need of consolidation in some of the more mature areas like payments and credit. And we also see changing the business model of some of the companies that are providing those solutions. And finally, we see a huge opportunity in a lot of the services that are still are very untapped, like especially insurance and others.
0: Finally, Irene, I I wanted to ask you about pretty much the elephant in the room, which is the COVID-19 crisis. I'm sure it has impacted the IDB in many ways, but mostly I'm sure it has impacted your portfolio companies. Tell us a little bit about this dynamic in the last few months.
1: Very good. Yeah. So, Miguel, thankfully... We manage quite actively the portfolio. Um, we have a 325 startups in our portfolio, some of them direct investments and some of them through our LP position in funds. A quarter of them are fintech. There is a big variety in the rest of it. We are quite present in the agritech space. We have seen that overall in Latin America and the Caribbean, over 84% of them reported a, a decrease in funding that more than half reported a decrease in sales and less than half received any form of support. So when you compare that with the global statistics of the Startup Ecosystem Report from Startup Genome that came out a couple of weeks ago, I think overall the region has felt a bigger impact in terms of a reduction in ability to raise funding and so on. But we've also seen that there are some pockets that have benefited or at least have felt a much lower impact for example a portfolio that we have in a health tech fund in finhealth in brazil or a company like timpel which provides a monitoring system for the lungs that now combined with the huge needs to monitor patients with mechanical ventilators that are covid patients is critical to avoid the second or the undesired effects of mechanical ventilation. So they have seen a huge potential in terms of the demand for their product. What we've done is segment the portfolio into those that are a lot of promise, but they need additional financing to catch up with this unexpected growth. And at the same time, this constrained finding environment. Thintel is a great case of that. And for that, we activated very quickly a liquidity line for startups and scale-ups. And we selected with a panel including an external advisors, the best ones that meet these criteria. Huge potential for impact, great innovation, need and good team behind it, need for capital because they have growth potential, but they are in this constrained finding environment. A second bucket that is doing well and doesn't need it. And then a third bucket that is critically struggling, but their model has been so completely disrupted that there is not much you can do. They just need to pivot and find something else. So that's in a nutshell what we've done. There are many other examples in the first packet, like Timpel, that we are going to be supporting and um, through this line. And you know, I think also the fund managers through which we invest have played a critical role in ensuring that they back up even more Those that really still hold a lot of promise, but are feeling very stretched. And frankly, sometimes Miguel is not just the funding. It's also being close to them and making sure that they talk to each other and they can support each other. They know how they are dealing with things, how they're even dealing with transferring the whole model into a pure remote work model. And so also this part of connections and exchanging knowledge has also been a big part of the role that we have tried to play.
0: Very interesting. Well, Irene, before we wrap things up here, very quickly, I wanted to ask you about some of your hobbies and some of the things (laughs) outside of the IDV, because I'm sure you're very active outside of work as well.
1: (laughs) Well, my favorite hobby is swimming. So that was disrupted because I couldn't swim indoors anymore. I switched to running. I have been able to discover a lot of the magnificent nature around us here in the area where we live in D.C., so I love doing that. I love hiking. And if anything, you know, this situation has pushed us to just explore our surroundings, not just always get on a plane and try to go somewhere very, very unusual. Just get to know your close surroundings. And, you know, thankfully, we're surrounded by nature, by the Potomac River here and forest. And that's, uh, you know, I have two small kids and my husband and I just love just doing that and it's become part of our, our new ritual.
0: Fantastic. Well, Irene, once again, thank you very much for joining us. It's uh, been truly a treat. We learned a ton and we look forward to seeing all the continued success that will come out, out of your team.
1: Muchas gracias, Miguel. Thank you, everyone, and uh, it's been great being with you.
0: Thank you, Irene, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on campus sometime soon.
1: <laughs> Muchas gracias.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.